You're listening to Get Woke Wellington, brought to you by the National Council of Women's Wellington Branch. Call Prudence Tokuengwa. Call Harita Tokuengwa. Call Lily Tokuengwa. Call Aisha Tokuengwa. We're NCW branch members and your Get Woke Wellington hosts. This show allows the National Council of Women to support and inform what us Welly women want in our communities. We also want to raise awareness about the National Council of Women's activities and encourage your membership. You can visit our website or follow us on Facebook and Instagram to find out more. Today we're interviewing Vandana Ban, who's a Fiji Indian, born in Fiji, and she moved to New Zealand when she was four. She grew up in Tauranga, she did her university in Auckland at AUT, and in 2018 she graduated with her bachelor's degree in communications, and in 2019 she started working for TVNZ as a field reporter. Throughout university, she also worked for Radio Tarana, which is an Indian radio station, and she wrote articles for them, and also for stuff. So she hasn't had the longest career, but she's definitely got a good step in the right direction. So hi Vandana, how are you? Hello, I'm good and thank you so much for having me on your show. It's it's an honour to be on here. I really love the work that you guys do at Access Radio and, you know, showcasing different people from different cultures and different backgrounds. I love it. Yeah. So what made you choose a career in journalism? I, as cliche as it sounds, and a lot of journalists you ask will say the same thing, we've always, I've always wanted to be a journalist. (laughs) And my mum always used to remind me that when I was a kid, when I was two years old, I literally used to watch the BBC News at (laughs) 2am because I'd wake up as a toddler, she'd have to feed me, and I was just so transfixed by current affairs and BBC News and just what was happening in the world. It was so fascinating to me. And I guess that fascination never left throughout Mm. primary and high school and uni. Just always been really fascinated by what's happening in the world, by current affairs. I find it really exciting. I think it's so important. And I think I've always seen the importance of it. Um, And it's just really been a passion of mine to be a journalist, to be out in the field, to be reporting from different locations and telling different people's stories. So, yeah, as cliche as it sounds, always wanted to do it. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. Um, Could you, you also work with One News and Radio Tanana, as Harita mentioned, like, can you tell us about what your role is there? Mm. So with One News, I am a television reporter. So I am on 6pm at the moment. And I started off on breakfast and then I went to the late news and now I'm on 6. And with Radio Tirana, I'm technically like their political reporter. So for about five years now, I have been running their current affairs show on Sundays, um, which has been great. I get to interview like your you know, prime minister and the opposition leader and other community leaders. And I get to do talk back, which has been really fun. So yeah, those are my two roles there. Yeah, you started out in your career and it's like you seem to be doing really well. Congratulations. Thank awesome. you. Thank you. <laughs> nice. And I think it's good to have that Indian link, isn't it? Given that you are Indians, it's you know, you've got a bit of your culture as well of your as well as your career all merged together. Mm. Absolutely. No, I love actually working for Radio Tehran. I never want to quit it. People have always asked me that. They're like, will (laughs) you drop radio? And I'm like, I don't think I will because they're like family. And I think that cultural bond is always going to be there. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. So as an Indian female in this industry, have you ever come across 
racism and pay disparity? And if you have, do you think the situation has improved over the years? So as a... First of all, I guess as an Indian female, I within the industry, I haven't experienced racism, but I've experienced it from viewers. Um, so when I started appearing on television, I would get quite a few messages. Uh, there would be quite a few emails coming into work as well. And people didn't like seeing an Indian on screen. Mm. Um, people didn't like seeing a nose ring um, on a female on screen. <laughs> Exactly. And I It's because that's associated with Indian people, I yes. think. Yeah. Yeah. It was very and I think also for one news the audience is quite white and yep. old. Yep. Um and so this was different for the one news audience. But and I didn't actually realise I know I was getting a few messages on Instagram, but I didn't realise that work was aware of the emails coming in because I was never told about it until somewhere through the grapevine I heard that it kind of became a topic of conversation among our bosses and they all stood up for me that, mm. you know, even five, ten years ago, we might not have had someone with a nose ring on TV. Now we do. Times mm. are changing and we're so proud of her. And that I remember going home that day and I just thought, wow, that's actually great. I'm so proud that my bosses who are all white men, balding, <laughs> that they are proud of me and that they accept me and that they are part of the change that we're seeing um, and that they accept that even five, ten years ago this wouldn't have been a thing and mm. now it is. So within the industry, I've been very lucky and I think it is changing. The viewers, though, not quite. Yeah, yeah but it, it's really good that I think it's probably one of the perks in being in New Zealand, isn't it? Like we are largely, well, with the protests and stuff, I feel mm. like there's a bit of a change in terms of like what the fabric of New Zealand becomes. But, you know, largely, I think we are more open to really progressing in such in such spaces and it's really good to hear that obviously you know everybody in your workplace is actually supporting that yeah um just to follow up from that right um do you think and I know you haven't experienced anything firsthand within the industry but do you think as a person of color woman is it is it difficult for somebody to get into the journalist um in like journalist space Mm. in the profession I I think, again, I think times are changing and we always think that, and I've seen a lot of rhetoric online where people of colour say that, oh, it's really hard to get into media. And I think that no matter who you are, it's hard to get into media. It's a mm. very niche field. Um, and there's, you know, if you look at New Zealand, there's only so many radio stations and there's so many TV stations. So it's all about merit and the hard work you put in. And I have to say in TVNZ, the minority is a white, straight male. There are very few wow, white, like straight men. <laughs> There's quite a lot of um, white, you know, non-straight men, uh, which is actually the majority. Yeah. And yeah, I guess in my, when I went to university, there weren't any other Indians or people of color that I studied with. So I really want to encourage girls and women who think that, oh, maybe it is hard for me to get in. Maybe my skin tone, my hair color, my, even my accent won't get me into the role. It definitely isn't reliant on that anymore. Mm. It's definitely on your merit and don't let that stop you from actually taking that step, going to journalism school, because that's where it starts from. And not a lot of girls 
first of all, and not a lot of people of colour are getting into journalism. So yeah. I yeah. think we need to encourage the younger generation to really start coming through. Yeah, and like changing the narrative, isn't it? Mm. Um, just in, like, I want to segue a little bit around how obviously times are changing within the New Zealand landscape, but, um, and you've done a lot, you've covered a story on the war in Ukraine and how that's affecting NZ wheat prices and stuff. Mm. But keeping that specific topic aside, I've kind of noticed that there is, um, it, it is pretty obvious and I'm pretty sure it is a conversation uh, that's been happening as to how the coverage of the war in Ukraine has been like really blown up. And I understand it, of course, um, but also as opposed to how the coverage of Middle Eastern conflicts and wars, which has already been happening. So this is not necessarily the first war we're seeing recently. Yeah. Um, the coverage of that and what the perspective you think is, what is the shift in that? And why do you think there is like this, a little bit of, you know, disparity around equal coverage? Mm. I think the word that comes to mind is that Eurocentric coverage yeah. that we always think about. And I totally agree with that. I think um, that's something that I try to challenge in the newsroom whenever these topics come up in our morning meetings um, as to how much weight we are giving it. And I think uh, it's absolutely shocking seeing how over, uh, quite a few overseas media agencies, how they've handled it and the tone they've used and the language they've used um, when they're discussing what's happening in Ukraine compared to po probably what happened in Syria or what happened in Egypt or mm. recently what happened in Afghanistan. So I think internationally it's been very shocking to watch. In New Zealand, I think we have probably given it a bit more than we what we would do in my opinion to what we did with Afghanistan and what yeah. we did with Palestine yeah. um, and it I think the other interesting part is that there is um, when we look at the number of Ukrainians in New Zealand and the number of you know Afghanis in New Zealand or Palestinians and those other um, groups in New Zealand it's also interesting to see how government have reacted to it because I think the government have reacted quite fast and uh, quite strongly yeah. on Ukraine and I guess being a journalist I'd like to criticize that because yeah. I covered quite a few stories during what happened in Afghanistan and quite a lot of families here weren't able to get their families out of Afghanistan they still haven't been able to but um at this time the government have kind of made that a thing for Ukraine so mm. yeah it is interesting how it's such a big machine, the media and the government and how everyone handles these situations. And I think, again, it comes back to having more people of colour in media is how we can change the reporting. So me being the only person in media is a bit hard. Mm. Hopefully in the next 10, 20 years, it'll be so much more even and those voices will really be heard. Yeah. 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 Well, that's exactly it, right? Like you said, when you have your morning meetings, you will decide how much you're going to focus on each news piece. Mm. And I guess, you know, if, if you're sitting there in the meeting saying you want to spend more time discussing this news piece rather than this news piece, if no one said that, you'd all just be doing what your bosses have told you. Yeah. And certain news pieces would just kind of get forgotten about. Yeah. Or, like I think with Afghanistan, it was kind of reported on a couple times and then you just didn't hear about it mm. that much in the news, whereas Ukraine is on the news every single mm. day in the morning and in the evening. I think I vaguely remember seeing the Ukraine flag up at Parliament. Mm. It and, was, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, like, so I guess because the media kind of 
influence the rest of New mm. Zealand, right? You see, some, you see something on the news, so yeah. you think that's what's happening in the world. And if something isn't reported on, then people might just forget about it or think that that situation has resolved. Yeah, or it's um, not as important as yeah. that. Yeah. Exactly. And I yeah. don't exactly. underestimate the, you know, the impact of obviously the war in Ukraine. Mm. It oh, definitely impacts every single person in the mm. world. There's no other mm. country. It, no country can say like, yeah, this doesn't affect us. Yeah. Whereas I guess the war in um, Afghanistan, for example, you can say that some countries like, oh yeah, but this probably isn't our problem. Yeah. But that's the thing, right? Like we all go saying, oh, but that's not our problem. Yeah. But when it is as... As you rightly mentioned, when the reporters go saying, you know, oh, this is a quote unquote white refugee. Mm. This is very shocking to hear. But that becomes everybody's problem, more European problem yeah. rather than, you know, when you yeah. have just general refugees from probably the Middle East, yeah. not necessarily is considered as the massive thing. It's m- more seen as the norm of the, you yeah. know, the rhetoric. Yeah. And I think also I, from a television perspective, um, It's also, we we do a lot with pictures, right? And so I remember when Afghanistan was happening, we couldn't actually get a lot of video out of Afghanistan mm. because the reporters and the journalists there weren't able to do much, were they? And that's probably the same, I'm guessing, when the Syrian war erupted. But with Ukraine, there's just so many journalists there on site that we're able to get so much footage that it makes television yeah. um, because we have content which was really, really hard with Afghanistan because we had to really dig into so many levels to try and get footage, try and get people to talk to, which is kind of really speaks to the war in the Middle East, how, you know, it's so much more harder for the people living there and for us to report on it. Yeah. But um, compared to what's happening in Ukraine, it just seems a bit more, you know, accessible for us in the rest of the world. Yeah. yeah. Also, like, as a side question to that, if you're the journalist reporting on, you know, the news piece, mm. how much control do you actually have over the footage and the pictures that are shown alongside the piece you're reporting on? I personally, when I do my stories, I edit my whole story. So mm. I, throughout the day, am looking at footage that's coming in from overseas, uh, whatever I can find online. So... Yeah, usually we have 100% control mm. and it should be that way. Yeah, Sometimes things do slip through the cracks here and there if it's a really busy news day. But yeah, no, we definitely have most control over the footage, what we put to air. And I think at One News, we're quite, um, you know, we're quite careful with what we choose on putting to air. We don't want it to be too, you know, um, dramatic for our viewers because it is at a prime time and there are kids watching and, You don't want to see too much from what's happening in war. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. So back to being a woman in media, um, I guess, you know, you've obviously worked alongside a lot of women that have had children while working in mm. this industry. So from what you've seen, do you know if women are treated any differently or worse when they want to go off and start a family or go on maternity leave and come back to work, which I know, you know, like the Channel One weather presenter, mm. for example, she's been on maternity leave quite a few times yeah. and come back. But, yes. you know, you don't see 
what happens behind the scenes on TV. Yeah. So how's all of that treated? I, I think it's very supportive, actually. And, you know, I can't say for what it was like 10, 20 years ago yeah. at all. I can imagine it might not have been as supportive as what it is now. But, yeah, I mean, you look on even TV3, Samantha Hayes has been yeah. just on maternity leave or came back. So a lot of presenters, our own Jessica Much Mackay was off for a few months. We have May Heron off. So it is very supportive. Um, I think... It is something that we do think about when we're thinking about our career, though, and uh, no one tells us that you shouldn't have kids, but everyone is considerate that uh, we want to, you know, get our career underway first and then have kids, and I don't think anyone pushes us Mm. in the newsroom to do that. I think um, they're very supportive as to whatever we want to do and that there's always a space for us. You know, we're welcome to come back when we're ready to come back. That's what I've seen with reporters that have gone off for even a year or two and have still come back and we've found a space for them because they were such a key part to the newsroom. Yeah. So I I love that as, you know, a 24-year-old thinking in a decade when yeah, I'm going to yeah, be having kids yeah, yeah. that it's very supportive environment. Yeah. That's amazing to hear. That's mm-hmm. like a really different perspective as to what you see in probably like, you know, corporate industries and stuff. Yeah. Which is, so it's good to see that New Zealand's actually yeah. different on that. Yeah. I mm-hmm. think it's quite different to like the entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. I think maybe 20 years ago, journalism and reporting was almost seen similar to entertainment. Yeah. You'd see a lot of reporters and and, you know, your Women's Weekly and whatnot. It's definitely changed from that. It's more your reporting, your news, your journalism, rather than your entertainment and your face and your personality. So, yeah, I think that's played a huge role. Mm. Um, I want to quickly get into, well, all things COVID, since, like, we can't really escape this conversation. (laughs) Uh, But a small, if you could, like, just give me a brief as to what you think. And I know... um, there has been some impact of COVID on the media industry. So what are your views on how do you think that impact has been? But also I want to segue a little bit into the recent um, story that you did on how COVID and the rapid antigen tests have been, you know, going into landfills Mm -hmm. and how that's actually not really great for our environment and why Mm. that is. So maybe just give me a brief about that. Yeah, I guess on the first, um, what COVID, COVID has been really hard for everyone and it's been really hard for the media industry. I think when everything, you know, started happening two years ago, there was a lot of our friends that lost jobs, Mm. uh, you know, in magazines and radio and the other television networks. It was really hard to see that um, and it was devastating to see that. And it was also very, it's been a busy two years for all of us and the fatigue is setting in. Every morning we wake up and I think all of us just wish that we could go to work and we didn't have to cover COVID, that there would be some other news that COVID didn't exist anymore. We are really looking forward to that day. Um, So it's affected our job a lot and it's just become a norm for us almost covering that 1 p.m. press conference today, you know, I mean, when the mandates come out and all these other announcements, it's just very tedious. (laughs) (laughs) Um, With the rat tests and the sustainability issue, I've I've done a couple of stories on the sustainability and I think it's absolutely ridiculous, the amount of waste that is going to our landfills and... It's just, you know, the government have talked a big game on sustainability and single waste plastics and it's just taking us a step back. But then you have, it's a fine balancing act, isn't it, between the public health and 
saving the planet, both mm. of which are very crucial components. Uh, but it's like, well, which one do you have to prioritize right now? I think the rat tests was an interesting one because millions of them are going to the landfill every day. Yeah. And really, how how good is that going to be for our single waste plastic use that the yeah. government is wanting to get rid of over the next five years? Yeah. It's really taking us a couple of years back. So yeah. yeah. And it's the same issue with the disposable masks, mm. isn't it? Like people wear them and they go in the rubbish bin end yeah. of the day. And not even that, but you see them flying around on the road, you yeah. know, like and it's just adding to the litter problem we already have and again to the landfills. Mm. And like I guess all the companies that produce the rat tests and the masks they could have tried to produce something that was compostable or yeah. something but then I guess just like your point about you know well you got a fine line to balance yeah it might have taken them another extra year Exa to actually yeah. be able to come up with a mask that can be composted so yeah. how long do you want to wait yeah. you've got mm. multiple Pro problems to mm. solve yeah and mm. prioritising what risk is. To there was this really cool story I did a few months ago. I think it was at the beginning of this year. And uh, there's at Auckland University, they have and they haven't got the funding for it yet to upscale the, the whole um, innovation that they've come up with. But they've come up with a way to for PPE and masks and plastic glasses and all of these random bits of plastic to go into a machine and some hydrothermal process within an hour turns it into water with acetic acid, which is just vinegar. Oh, wow. And that can be used to, you know, clean cleaning your surfaces. Products, yeah. um, that could be distributed to hospitals for cleaning. And the only output, because the main question I had was, well, there must be some negative outputs to mm. it. And it's just oxygen and a very small amount of CO2 wow. that is safe so enough cool. to be released into the air. So that we got to go into the university and see how it all works. And it was fascinating. It's this tiny machine at the moment, but they say that they can upscale it. They just need the funding. So fingers crossed. Yep. I think they're looking at how we can get some commercial or government funding because that would be a real game changer. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is a great plugin for that. Like absolutely. Mm. Anybody hearing this and, you know, if you, like, <laughs> yeah, if you want to put some yeah, money towards yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, definitely go for it. Yeah. Mm. yeah, it's something Yeah, we definitely need because the whole PPE mask wearing thing is not going away anytime soon. So, no. yeah. Yeah, and there's, you know, there have been studies as to how every 10 years we're going to have another pandemic. So, you know, it's just <laughs> like, well, nobody knows what's in store for exactly. us. But hey, this has been absolutely amazing to talk to you. And we really appreciated the perspective that, you know, it's great that you've had such a positive experience in the industry. And we really hope like other women of color and just women in general have like had similar experiences with you, uh, same as you. And we really appreciate you coming on board. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And yeah, I really hope some girl out there is encouraged yep. to also, you know, take that step and go to journalism school because it is a great industry and we need more women of colour in the industry. Yep. Whether you have a nose ring or not, you should definitely get out there. <laughs> Absolutely. The it should not stop you. <laughs>